What's good, Richmond? This is Cheats, and we have a very special Cheats Moomin interview. Uh, we are here in City Hall. We are in the on the 15th floor. We got an amazing view, <laughs> but uh, we are in the office of Community Wealth Building, and we're here with the director of that office, Reggie Gordon, and a friend of mine, my man Zane Robinson, uh, who's, uh, who's worked in the city for a minute now these days. But I'm very excited to talk to these two gentlemen about the Office of Community Wealth Building in the city of Richmond. They have an amazing goal of lifting people out of poverty. And I think anyone that follows the city as closely as we do, um, you understand that there's a big challenge that we all face when it comes to poverty and um, addressing, you know, children in poverty and the community in poverty in the, in the city of Richmond. And Mayor Jones's administration uh, did a unique thing when they built this office. Um, and now Reggie Gordon, who took over the office, is in a position to lead it into the future. So I'd like to welcome you both. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. Glad to be here. We're Thanks. very excited about it. For those that don't know, um, start with the basics. Sure. For people that don't know, when you say the Office of Community <laughs> Wealth Building, what exactly are we talking about? Richmond has a 26% poverty rate. And when you look at, let's say, 2,000 plus uh, communities across the nation, cities and counties, we're like, we rank at like the bottom 2%, meaning of all of these places in the United States, Richmond does not have an um, identifiable ladder to get people from crisis level to economic self-sufficiency. 26% as a poverty rate is bad. You know, the state average is 11%. So as a city that is thriving and on the grow and has a lot of assets, it's time for us to be really intentional about trying to reorganize the system. This is on us because people have found themselves trapped and we have generational poverty. We have people who are struggling. And as we assessed and analyzed it, we realized that this is the inflection point. It's time to pivot toward what are our assets? And that's why we're the Office of Community Wealth Building. We're not the office of anti-poverty. Mm. This is about. This is about. But there was an anti-poverty commission. Anti-poverty right? so commission. Came out of that. Okay. In order to get the information. Well, that's a good distinction. Yeah. It was okay. A, that was back in 2011. There was an anti-poverty commission. I was on it. You know, mm. and we brought together, I think, a hundred plus people from different disciplines and stakeholders to to look at the barriers and the challenges from transportation to jobs to education, and they came up with, based on their knowledge, here are the things that need to shift in order for us to have a new reality for a pathway to economic success for thousands and thousands of our citizens. And their recommendation was the terminology is important. Really? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. It, it needs to be called wealth building. This is a wealth building process mm. because you need to have an aspirational way to approach a changed environment. Because imagine if we were saying to people, oh, you're poor, and we're here to help you. We're here. We're from the government. We're, we're here, here, here to help. Right. Yeah, it, yeah. Needs, it needs to be more of, you're a citizen of this town. Tell us exactly what. Here's some barriers that we think you you might face. Affirm those with us, or tell us what you're struggling with, so that then we can work with you to find, op find pathways and open doors, so that you can have a better life for not only you as a head of household, but also your children. How how real is the separation between in the city between what we would consider the haves and the and the have-nots mm -hmm. or the people so because it's one thing for me to 
you know, drive past a neighborhood, right? Right. Or it's one mm -hmm. thing for me to say, oh, yeah, this is a tale of two cities. Right, yeah. But you guys are working every day and trying to build wealth for the 26%. I don't know how many of those are children, 49 yeah. something? Mm -hmm, about 50. Yeah, percent yeah. of the mm -hmm. children right. living in poverty. Right. How, what, what strikes you guys when you're working in communities and trying to build that community wealth? What strikes you as the, the how real is that separation? Yeah. How stark is it? We've had some good conversations in this office around this table with the team, and we actually invite people in uh, who are, uh, you know, currently struggling. Hmm. Some of them are called housing advocates, but others are just people from the general population that know about our work. We have an interview this uh, coming up with a guy who actually says that yeah. uh, he, he he claims that community wealth building saved his life. Saved his life. That's, yeah. that's his tagline, and you know, we want to interview him and find out what it is that you know all the things that he went through in his life and those kind of things to be able to tell those stories to mm -hmm. the community and what we do because mm -hmm. evidently there is a, a disconnect yeah. uh, even though those of us who work in nonprofit work or even government programs and and we we would hope that we're getting it right because we're getting funding to perpetuate some of these programs when you actually talk to people they say, no one, there's nothing here for us. No one's listening to us. And that's what's caused us pause. Like, wait a minute. You know, it, it, so there must be something broken. Do all of the programs and all of the organizations out there do those things that residents need? And sometimes right. I feel like we find that we have a lot. There's, a, there's still a gap for all those organizations that say they do A, B, C, and sure. D for folks. There's still a large gap where our, where our people in poverty are not receiving the services that they need or even have the ability to get to those services. And everyone's story is so different. We have to make sure that we are not uh, generalizing poverty or people who are struggling. I think that's a challenge, right? It's a like, challenge. I mean, I think that's when you look at any type of quote-unquote yeah. program, mm -hmm. you want as many people to fit the box as possible. Right, 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 right yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, for his, for, uh, for instance, we have always said, well, we know for a fact, the way to solve poverty is to get a better paying job. You need more money. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the ultimate solution. Okay, there are women who are heads of household who might now live in, a Gil in the Gilpin neighborhood. Mm -hmm. They make, a, and this is a story they told us, mm -hmm. they make seven, eight dollars an hour. They go to our Center for Workforce Innovation, our staff works with them, finds a job possibility that might pay $11 an hour. When they look at how that impacts their finances, like, okay, if I take that job, that means I'm going to have to have a decrease by law in what I receive for food from the SNAP program, mm -hmm. and even my housing allowance. So that's three to $400 a month that I will lose. I have two kids. So therefore, I know it sounds good, get a better paying job. It doesn't make sense for me financially to take a better paying job. I need to stay where I am and get the public assistance as opposed to what we're, we think we're here to say, oh, we have the solution to, to get you up. If we didn't have that conversation, we would have maybe erroneously said, well, what is wrong with her? Right, you're you know? blaming, the, blaming the person. <laughs> right, right. right blaming but, the victim but, or however you say it. But we see her, after we debriefed, she is a smart woman that's a head, that cares about how she's gonna take care of her family and she's having to navigate around a system that has not been designed to support her as she makes the transition. 
That's, so tell, that's mind blowing. <laughs> right, it is mind blowing. Right. So that's, so that's, why glad, that's why I'm glad we're here. Right, right, right. Because if you didn't have a, I mean, we have a lot of smart people who are trying to, from a st- st- um, local or state or even federal level, thinking through this. But as we get more of those stories, and we can almost say it's not just anecdotal. We have 50, 100, 1,000 right. people. So therefore, as we're trying to help them get employed, how are we going to realign our providers so they can provide that safety net as we encourage, you know, encourage her to say, hey, we, we fix, we're fixing our system. Take that job, and we're going to bring the meals people closer to you and say, hello, hey, meals people, can you support this family for two years to make up that delta of about $300? Yeah. And if we can't do that, then we're back to the drawing board. But that's a more refined way to approach wealth building. So this is mind-blowing because the those stories that you mentioned are are fairly common stories, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It was even when you call right, it the, the clips effect. Yeah, the most common. Right. Yet the office of community wealth building is not a common office. How right. unique and rare <laughs> right. for yeah. any city throughout the country yeah. to have an office like that. We're the first one in the nation. Is it really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that I actually didn't. Know. In the nation, yeah. I mean, other cities that have different types, of different ty- economic development or workforce engagement, engagement yeah. like but to have a department that is, you know, the moniker is wealth building, getting people to a different level of self-sufficiency, that's that's unique to us. So talk to me about goals and how you guys go about getting there, because it's it's one thing to say we have an right, office, yeah. but you have several. Yeah. Apparatuses, right? right. Several yeah. layers in mm-hmm. this office. And talk to me about goals. Yeah. And, we did and our, what, do you, what do we have to offer? Yeah, we did our uh, annual report last year when working on the one that will come out in 2017. But the big way to frame our goal is to get a thousand people out of poverty every year. And believe you me, we've had tough discussions about what does that actually mean. Uh, what does it mean? That's a good <laughs> one. What, does that, what right. does that mean? It's difficult sometimes because yeah. in some instances, we are the the liaison, if you will, mm-hmm. between the organization that offers a particular service right. and us knowing the folk, us having the folks through CWI and through mm-hmm. our list programs Absolutely. and knowing what their issues are. Right. So, yeah. And, and, and so getting someone out of poverty, obviously everyone's story is different, everyone's circumstance is different, but it means having, having a household, head of household that makes a living wage that can support a family, whether that's they're living with two kids or four kids. Quite honestly, living comfortably in this city probably requires you to make about forty, fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. You know, well, let's face it: how many people? We're talking about forty thousand, fifty thousand people who are in this catchment of being, uh, you know, in poverty. I'm just using that term mm-hmm. just to make it, just to break it down. Although I wouldn't, I, I want to say everybody has assets. I want to reiterate that. But these are people who are stuck right now. So if you don't have a high school diploma and you're making seven to eight dollars an hour, how long is that journey to get from that point to making forty, fifty thousand dollars a year? Right. You know. So we right. need to be really uh, uh, clear that a thousand people out of poverty is a heavy lift, yes. and it requires us looking at each person to see: do they just need a a job that pays a little bit more money, or does this person need to go get a GED or have more intensive training, or is, does this person have such severe uh, barriers from mental health to substance abuse that's going to take them a real long time to get to a point where they will no longer need any assistance 
outside of um, you know their own capacity. So, so talk to me about the layers. What what layers like you're saying that that the office touches and mechanisms that the office really focused on. If there was like key principles of areas that we're focused on to start to make mm-hmm. this pivot, what what are some of them? Oh, so the our main the front door for us is the Center for Workforce Innovation, which mm-hmm. is that's getting a better paying job. Mm-hmm. This is in distinction from walking into Department of Social Services and saying, you know, I need help. This is, uh, we've, we've peeled away of, um, from economic development and Department of Social Services this combination kind of approach. You walk in the door and we do, uh, the case workers there do a more comprehensive assessment of you and your family, your environment, all of those factors that um, describe where you are right now. And then the work is, you know, trying to connect you with the appropriate referrals, like, like Zane said, it, we might not do it all, but that's the service aspect of our work. Right. Meanwhile, we're working on strategy at another level, but day in, day out, it's the, the folks walking in the door across the street. And that's kind of like, I guess, in terms of steps, when you ask yeah, about yeah, steps, that yeah, would be yeah, the like first step. First step. You, that, that first step is doing that assessment of you. But yeah. then, as, as Reggie mentioned, the strategies, and kind of, that's also kind of step two as we move into our network meetings, what we call network meetings, mm-hmm. in which we're identifying those, we're drilling down into those particular categories, education, and you mm-hmm. as, a, as a group or, or organization in the, in the community, what do you do? Mm-hmm. So what do we call, we call it an inventory. Mm-hmm. We're inventorying each of the categories. So we had network meetings such as uh, transportation, we'll have a transportation meeting, we've had education, We'll have housing. Mm-hmm. We've had. Um, we'll have meal, food. Yeah. Food. And those, we bring the organizations to the Conrad Center in most cases, and all of those groups, and we ask them specific questions. But those, the main themed question is, how do we get people to self-sufficiency by getting a job? That right. That's what brings you out. It's right. Like, you can have a car. You can have all these other things. You can have anything under the sun. But if you don't have a job and/or money, mm-hmm. right? How do you get out? With the, with the, edu- with the education group, you know, lots. Many people have uh, programs for children from zero all the way up to, to 12th grade. So the, the different spin we put on it is, yes, we know that's great. We know there are lots of you. We're grateful for what you do. <laughs> the question we have for you is, what intervention do you do that allows the head of the household to re- get, retain, or train for a job? Mm-hmm. And, and it, it caused people to like, wait a minute, you know, they had to really regroup because, you know, we're trying to find if there's a mother who, because she can't find early childcare, does not take take a job, then that's an issue for us. Mm-hmm. You can have all the job, uh, all the early childcare programs and talent you want, but if we're stuck at twenty six percent poverty, yeah, it means that isn't. right, well, he's like, we're not in the right location, right neighborhood, or we're not affordable. So that's the work on our end, as opposed to, you know, it's good that we have it, but it, this is back to the beginning of our conversation. Sure. Maybe it's not helping the people that are in, a, in the target. Speaking of that, what do we know about transportation in general? So I've seen, I get, I get to go, I'm fortunate enough where I get to go to a lot of presentations, and I see a lot of surveys, and I'm sure you've seen the exact right. same ones, mm-hmm. that say, this is the bus line, these are where... Uh, Jobs are that are located, and most of them are located either right, right outside of the city, mm-hmm. where obviously city residents can't get to. Right. Um, what do we do in regards to 
that transportation aspect of getting people, uh, city residents, connected to the jobs that, and I think these surveys, just to be frank, the surveys were like, these are entry-level job mm -hmm. maps, right? Yeah. These are where some of the most high pop density populations of entry-level jobs. And a lot of us, a lot of city residents can't get to it. Mm -hmm. well, how, how do we, how do we kind of bridge those types of gaps? Well, I know Zane's been working through that since before I even got here, but <laughs> we, I, I think as we, as we understand the, the details more, Maybe we can be creative. That's what we have in this transportation group meeting. Mm -hmm. All right, the bus line stops here, GRTC, BRT. Mm -hmm. uh, the jobs are three miles past that. Right. You know? That's um, right. So, like, so, yeah. so then, all right, community. <laughs> community How meaning. We figure this out. Right, meaning ministries, businesses. You know, what can we do as a stopgap measure until we, until, you know, hopefully we will have a corridor that. It, that uh, for public transit that will one day connect with those jobs. We don't have time to wait uh, those many years. So is there some way to be creative if only people heard, hmm, here's how I can be a part of community wealth building by doing a transportation service to take people from, from this locale that has jobs to this neighborhood. But I, one, one thing we need to make sure we understand though, are the people, do we, are we sure there's a, a fit you know, do we, are we actually positive that if, is the only barrier transportation? Sure. You know, and, and I think as we're working through this, if, if that is the fact, then I feel that somewhere in this community we'll find people that say, here's how, oh, if that's the issue, here's how I can help. Uh, transport's my thing. I had no idea that me, Mr. Transportation, limousine service, Uber owner, whatever, mm -hmm. I could be a part of a community wealth building process. Because, yeah, I think you know, Mark, yeah. you know, just from being where you are at the governor's office, stuff like that, we've talked about bus rapid transit, we've talked about rapid rail and all those things in the city, but bus rapid transit down Broad Street, the Pulse, I think will help in terms of uh, community wealth building and being able to get folks to at least the county line mm -hmm. to get out where you may be able to, you know, Uber, take the bus, mm -hmm. and then as Reggie said, maybe there's partnership opportunities with those type of things, but again, that, that we talk about policy in here so a lot also, and those are policy changes that really have to change from here to Henrico to Chesterfield. So it's a regional thing, right? And I think, you know, I think if there's a good thing that comes out of some of this in regards to just um, dealing with the increase in poverty in general, um, I think the positive is that um, obviously Henrico, Eastern Henrico, oh, yeah. Chesterfield, Southern Ch Chesterfield. They, they, you really can't ignore the fact. I think there was a article in the article paper that recently, came out two yeah. weeks ago, right? It said right. poverty is growing faster right. in the counties right. now than it is in the city. This is not a bright line around Richmond City. And so, right. yeah. and this, and this brings us to a good point because um, there is a new administration coming mm -hmm. in, which means that there are new opportunities, right, for things like regional cooperation. Mm -hmm. um, what are you in the office here? What are you kind of uh, hoping for, expecting out of uh, Estonia administration as you guys move forward into, you know, the office is established now. This is uh, the office is on its second director. Obviously, uh, Thad Williamson um, did did the part to get the office up and mm -hmm. running, and now there's a, a, a Mr. Gordon you've taken over. But what are you uh, are hoping for optimistically when you? look into the future with the new administration? Uh, 
LeVar Stoney had many uh, points in his platform that lined up perfectly with how we see community wealth building. So yeah. that's, that's, that's <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, yay. Start. So we're, we're <laughs> encouraged by that. Right. And so when he, you know, I plan to, all of us, you know, invite him in. And we're going to be partners in this journey. We know we need to build the capacity to get to a thousand people out of poverty every year. We've made that commitment to the community. Now, when he's and when he's with us, we need to maybe maybe reframe it or describe it in a different way. But I'm I'm optimistic that he will understand or appreciate that this is this is so critical to the growth of our community. We got it. The poverty rate impacts so many things that that if we don't stay on a course to to modify it or fix it or solve these issues, we will never be able to reach our greatest ex potential as a city. And I think he has, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm positive he has that kind of aspirational hope for our community. Sure. Um, and we, we need to be creative. And maybe this, with the change in leadership, the mayor has done a fantastic job and, and, and city council to support us and, and open pathways. And I think we're on the right trajectory. So this is good. Last question, in mm -hmm. this sense. Uh, how do you get, there's an awareness issue that the office uh, wants people to be connected to at least understanding the work that it does. Mm -hmm. How do uh, the office, people like myself, people that are aware of the office community wealth building, how do you galvanize the community to understand that there is an office here that's whole sole purpose every day when you guys wake up, <laughs> the idea is to lift uh, the community and build wealth and lift you know people in our community, a thousand people per year is it, mm -hmm. out of poverty. How do you get that message to the community? I'll start, but I know I love it. Thanks, Chuck. <laughs> I mean, first of all, you. I mean, well, I was going to say, you. you. Hey, I mean, I'm going to try to do my part. I'm going to try to do I my mean, part. This, this is something that, you know, we're on these lists for, um, you know, tourism and the craft beer scene. You know, I, I think, imagine, here we are, medium-sized city, and so many other cities in this nation have the exact same issue. So we have 40,000, 50,000 people. If we can reorganize ourselves, work together in new collaborations and strategies to, to move people deliberately to a different point, I mean, that's, that not only benefits us as, a, as Richmond, but we have people from Lynchburg visiting. We have people from Lancaster, Pennsylvania who visited. So this, we're right, we might be in this unique position to really unpack it and, and describe this issue to people in a way that, that is relatable. Because it's not a static number either. You know, there are people who might be teetering on the edge right now. Mm -hmm. And so we can make sure our system is such that if, the, if you have a financial crisis, we're organizing a way to get you back uh, on a path to being economically self-sufficient. That, to me, is what's exciting about this work. Now, if people, we have listening sessions every Friday from 1.30 to 3.30. Just call 646-3108. Yeah. People can make an appointment to come in and tell us their ideas or their challenges. We were talking to, at our meeting this morning about, before the end of the year, trying to go out to the different neighborhoods and say, here's, we're from the Office of Community Wealth Building. Tell us about your life. Tell us what you think needs to be done in order for you to have a better pathway in town. And we want to use that, we call it 
qualitative information and overlap it with our qualitative information so that we can say this is together we have the answer this is not just a bunch of folks who studied it these are the people who lived it and and the hopefully the end result as a result of our because of our work will be the steps that need to take place and, and yeah it will probably have to be dynamic and modify as things in our economy shift but we want people to feel hopeful that someone's listening will be a travesty if if after having an office of community wealth building people still feel I don't know how to get help I don't know where to go no one's listening to me I, I think as a team we've decided that that's our goal to make right. sure that we're known for being the people who do listen and turn that into like Zane said be, become policy advocates at the state level or local level so the the quantitative numbers show the, the, the change in people's lives right. once we, when we get there, but the, the qualitative piece is, is what really makes you feel the change <laughs> in the numbers. And I think in Richmond in general, we've always had an issue of being able to tell our story from the city of Richmond, from this building, from City Hall standpoint. Um, just from a resident standpoint, and I guess in even caring about what per se, the city of Richmond is doing. Yeah. But this, I think we have a unique opportunity with the uh, Office of Community Wealth Building to really show folks an, a department that really cares about yeah. people and about changing people's lives. Um, I mean, we sit in here and the conversations that we have in here, we talk about all these people. We don't sit in here and we just make policies and <laughs> strategies based on what we believe. Sure. We, we make decisions based on what our heart and our mind tells us. Mm -hmm. and. We need to tell that, those people's stories and our story outside of here because those are the things that people will say, hey, I need to share this. I need to retweet this. I need mm -hmm. to put this on my page. Mm -hmm. I need to tell somebody else in another state mm -hmm. what they're doing so that state can come see what we're doing. So we, can, we have the potential to change lives from here all the way to California, mm -hmm. sure. from here all the way to Florida, from Florida all the way to Maine. And so I think by telling the stories, having, your, having you here, we do, we do some of the things. <laughs> Not really. No, absolutely. But because yeah. we do some of the things as well, we're going to go out into the community. I'm going to go out, Reggie and I, and we're going to raise awareness through kind of guerrilla marketing tactics, sure. if you will, you yeah. know, social media and all yeah. the other stuff. Interview folks. Walk a lady from what it's like to have to get up in the morning and go from her house mm -hmm. to, to the daycare to drop her kid off and then get to work. What, what are the challenges? What does that feel like? Yeah, yeah, what does it feel like? What are the challenges? Yeah. I mean, how long does it take you? You got to get up 5 o'clock in the morning. You, ba you We, we want to be there. We want to show that story. We want to have the camera right there to we be able to tell you, walk we, you through it. We have talked about if we could find people who could do documentaries or a reality, I mean, some, some way that we can peer into the lives of people on a daily basis, not in a voyeuristic kind of way, sure. but, but in order to have this, people have this, uh, framework, shift and framework about why this is important and how this affects all of us. And like Zane said, once you put a human face on it and it's not just a bunch of people who live in that neighborhood who need right. to get help. These are folks, like I mentioned, the woman who are making these tough decisions and they're sort of invisible to a lot of us now. We see them, sure. you know, or hear about them, but if imagine, Richmond, I mean, I grew up here, so there's a lot of compassion and generosity, obviously, but we can't do it the way we've been doing it. Because we've been doing it, we've spent millions of dollars, we have hundreds and hundreds of nonprofits, and the poverty rate is the same. So obviously, time to shift, and like I've been, I've been saying recently, I think one indicator of our success will be, imagine five years from now or less, 
around the holiday season, we're having trouble finding people who need us. You know, we're so used to, I'm not knocking Christmas mother, but we're so used to, let's rev up to help the poor people. Give one toy for a Give one, right. What over. about, hmm, how do we help that mother get a car or get her a job so that next year, hey, Miss Jones, you, you know what, I'm good. I mean, maybe I can contribute to somebody. You know, I, I know it sounds so... No, it doesn't. It's, you know, it, what it is is hopefully you'll be in a position to put yourself out of business. Yeah, And there are exactly. so many organizations out there whose goals are, I hope we can put ourselves out of business. And we need to hold ourselves to task on that. There you go. Right. We're, we're going to have to leave it there. Right. It's with Thank Zane you. Robinson and Reggie yeah. Gordon, the Office of Community Pleasure. Wealth Building. It is always uh, good to hear these stories, and I think that's uh, part of the challenge that uh, was just highlighted, is that we have to get these uh, narratives and these stories out in a way that uh, the city of Richmond and the region and the state uh, respond to them. So hopefully we'll, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, we'll be able to put the Office of Community Wealth Building out of business. <laughs> and that'll be the goal. Sounds so, good. Thanks so much.